Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, episode 229, Kickstart My Heart. No, we're not skydiving naked from an aeroplane. We're talking about the best RPGs and board games to come from Kickstarter. Brought to you by our sponsor, Grand Gamers Guild, who's run a few Kickstarters themselves. I'm Sean, and here with me, the Tabletop Bellhop himself, Mo. I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, helping you make your game nights better. We're currently live on Twitch, something we do every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. You should stop by and see what goes into making the show and hang out with other fans in the lobby, our chat room. Yeah, it's been a good one tonight. If you've been here early, we got a nice full chat room and we've been chatting about TV we've been watching and other things. Now, though, we're on to the podcast and we're going to be sharing some of what we think are the best board games and some RPGs that came through Kickstarter. We follow up with uh, actually the other way around. So we are going to review one of those games, and we're going to take a look at another holiday hijinks game, this time the Groundhog Gambit, because we want the info on this game out before February 2nd. We're going to wrap up with a shorter than the last few weeks, uh, talking about the games we played in our week in review, because it has been a busy week, at least on my side. Well, find links to the games and more that we've mentioned tonight in our show notes, which you can find at tabletopbellhop.com slash episode 229. That's 229. Links there may be affiliate links, and games mentioned may have been provided by publishers for review purposes. Let's start off with a trip to the suggestion box. Welcome to this week's suggestion box. Uh, Here we're going to share some of the feedback we've gotten after the last few weeks, uh, probably just the last week in this case. Well, let's start off with a couple of comments on our Tapple review. Now, Chris Schenk commented on our review to see on YouTube to say, I enjoyed this video. Thanks, Mo. This wasn't at all on my radar until now. Nice. And Frantic Zafe 8915 commented, Another mass market game you should enjoy is Shut the Box. It's super fun and quick to play. I got to say, I love that comment from Chris, because honestly, that is exactly why I wanted to review Tapple in the first place. That's why I asked the op for a copy to say, yeah, Ed. they were like, you want Tapple? And I'm like, yes, yes, I want Tapple because I want more hobby gamers to know about this game because there is a tendency of people in this hobby to ignore mass market games. And that can be a shame sometimes because some games like Tapple or another example, be Blockus or Quirkle are great games that you shouldn't overlook. Now, as for Shut the Box, that's not a bad game. I played that at a few family parties. A little too high on the random factor for me to really like, but it is fun, especially if you toss in some adult beverages. Well, just one more for tonight. This one comes from P 4970 and is in reply to our list of the best cooperative games. They write, My fave co-op is XCOM the board game. The frantic nature of the timed, app-driven gameplay always makes it an engaging, fun experience and also stops any quarterbacking, too. But I also love the great push-your-luck aspect of it, and the asymmetric roles makes everyone feel like they are important to winning. Other notable mentions for myself, Project Elite, Ghost Stories, Zombicide Black Plague, wow, I guess I love dice-based co-ops, <laughs> Rising 5, my pick for introducing co-op games, and Adult Kid Games. You mentioned my other faves, with The Crew probably being my fave of the ones you mentioned, games that I'd love to play but haven't, Space Cadets, I love the asymmetric co-op games. I'd also like to check out Space Cadets Dice Duel, but it's a team game rather than co-op. Mm-hmm. Venturia, you made it sound cool. I'll definitely check <laughs> it out. Nice. Pandemic Rapid Response, Kitchen Rush. I also guess I also love the timed games and Marvel Champions. I kind of love when someone replies to our stuff and you can kind of tell it's like a stream of consciousness and they're typing like, oh, and that, and that, and that. 
you get a real uh, sense of enthusiasm there. So that's a solid list of games there from Mukau. Um, just some comments on a couple of them. Ghost Stories. Uh, we could have put that on the list. I actually really like it, but it is so hard. Um, no, it's not harder than the Disney Sidekicks game because that game's ridiculous. But it is so hard. I just I have a hard time recommending that. That's one where it's like I played a lot of co-op games and I'm looking for something more challenging. Then I'm going to throw Ghost Stories. Um, I need to try Project Elite and Rising Five. I've actually heard good things about both of them. Now, Space Cadets, I, I hate to, to bash the game too much, but it just wasn't what I wanted. It, it it was okay, but not great. It was it was a little too Euro-y, thinky, while still trying to be re- real t- real time at the same time. Now, Space Cadet Dice Duels, I do recommend. That is a fantastic two-team dice game. I really enjoy that one. Now, as for Rapid Response and Kishin Rush, those are ones we're probably going to stay away from because my hate my wife hates real-time games, especially with timers, so we're skipping that one. And Marvel Champions, I think, is a great recommendation, though we haven't spent as much time with it as I wish we had. I, I still have my copy. I had to replace my copy. I've got the new copy, and we haven't actually played a game with the new copy. Everything's still sealed and shrink, except for the bits I opened when I recorded an unboxing video. But I, what I have played on that game is fantastic. Well, thank you to everyone who comments, shares, and interacts with our stuff. A quick reminder that we'll not be recording on February 7th. Which also means no new podcast episode dropping on the 13th. Now, I did mention I may do unboxings that night. That's looking less likely, actually, because we're not recording. Dan and I are making plans that night. So it's unlikely we'll be live at all on the 7th of February. We're here to answer your gaming and game night questions. Tonight's question comes from Nathan Beard, who writes, Hi, Mo. Love, love, love your site, style of writing, and expertise. I'd love to see an article on the best games to come through Kickstarter. Well, Nathan, here we have the first step, a podcast topic on the best games to come through Kickstarter that probably should eventually lead to an article on the blog if I ever get a little bit more caught up. But at least you'll get the conversation here. So the best games to come through Kickstarter is a pretty broad net to cast. This could mean our favorite games, the highest gate rated games on board game geek that were from Kickstarter, but also even games itself is a bit vague since I've backed far more RPGs myself than board games on Kickstarter. And if you include zines, I'm pretty sure there have been a lot more RPGs released than board games on Kickstarter. Oh, it's true. Um, so in order to narrow things down, what we're going to go with are games that funded on Kickstarter specifically, not other crowdforming platforms. That we think are sweet without any consideration of things like should this game have been Kickstarter? Was Kickstarter used the way it was intended? Was it fulfilled on time? Did backers complain? We're not looking at all of that. All we are looking at is the finished product. We are looking at great games we love that happen to have gone through the Kickstarter process. Now, I think there's a lot more to this topic that is worth talking about. So I convinced Mo to do a follow up episode. Should these games have been on Kickstarter? Do games really benefit from Kickstarter? Are crowdfunded games better than non-crowdfunded games? Is most of the physical product coming through Kickstarter utter garbage? So be sure to join us next week, which we record on February the sorry, January, January the 24th, uh, right here on Twitch, twitch.tv slash tabletop bellhop, so we can hear your outrage in the chat room as we are recording. All right. Well, now on to the list, which as usual is in no particular order. Yeah, this is, if you want some insight into the psyche of Mo, just look at the order of the list come in, because I always do it as things pop into my head. And the first game uh, that popped into my mind when 
asked this question um, isn't really one game, but it, well, it is one game, but more importantly, a publisher and a line of games that wouldn't exist without Kickstarter. And that is the Valeria games from Daily Magic Games. Now, I discovered them at Origins. It had nothing to do with Kickstarter. I went by their booth. It was very purple and they offered me free nerds to try a game and I was sold on the game. But that game was Valeria Card Kingdoms, which was originally a Kickstarter. And it was their first Kickstarter. And every single Valeria game and expansion since has been initially funded through Kickstarter. That is their system for releasing games. Now, at this point, there isn't a Valeria game we haven't enjoyed. And we've played almost all of them. We still have a soft spot in our hearts for the original. We loved the three-game small box series, especially Thrones of Valeria. Mm -hmm. And we're itching to get our hands onto Castellans of Valeria in its final form, while yes. we currently explore Guild Academies of Valeria. Yes, and except for the, the brand dilution by having so many different games named Valeria, they are all separate games. Um, there are expansions for some of them. They are all separate games. Uh, we love them. Like, like Valeria is up there with Grand Gamers Guild for, you know, things we talk about. Valeria, uh, Garinto and Aventuria are probably the, the three, the, the, the holy trinity of games that we are always talking about on the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast. Because we don't talk about Azul anymore. It used to be Azul. Before no. before Garinto, it was Azul. Before Garinto. Then... I, I, we could probably say that the Garinto Jones theory to Azul out of our, <laughs> our, our game recommendation list. Uh, next up. I've got a hidden gem. Um, this popped in my head because when I first heard the topic, of course, all the big games, which we are going to talk about some of them tonight, popped in my head. But I'm like, what's some of the ones people may not know were Kickstarter or even more so don't know at all? And the game that came to me then was Chiseled by Michael Epstein. Now, this was originally Kickstarted by Michael's own company, Copper Frog Games, and was later picked up by our sponsor, Grand Gamers Guild, that actually helped with the fulfillment and actual publication of the game. Now, this is a deck shedding card game that does a fantastic job of matching its theme. Your deck is your hunk of rock, and you're going to use tools to carve away parts of that deck, hopefully leaving you with the perfect sculpture that at least uh, satisfies the critics somewhat. There will be three randomly drawn critics that are going to judge your work. Now, this game has been a huge hit with everyone we've introduced it to, and is in regular public play rotation. Now, while it's a small box game, I often don't think about it. I really yeah. have never had a bad play of this game, even when taking huge risks with chainsaws. Next, I have Fleet from the team of Benjamin Pinchback and Matthew Riddle, who I, I don't want to in the who's who of board gaming. That's a, a pair of names that, that you will eventually get to know. If, if you're a hobby gamer, you're going to be like, oh, it's that group. They make great games. Now, they kickstarted Fleet along with Eagle Griffin Games. This is the game. This was their first big success. Pinchback and Riddle put out and was a huge hit and put them on the map. And that made a huge splash. And they have been releasing multiple games since then. But of all their games that I've currently played, Fleet is still one of my favorites. This is a fantastic card-driven economic game that um, Matt Riddle fully admitted it. We stole the power grid auction system and threw it in our game because we love it, um, and but uses it to great effect. It's a perfect mix of long-term planning and having to react what your opponents are doing, which could totally mess up that long-term planning. Now, there's expansions. There's Wharf Side, and there's other versions like Fleet the Dice Game. I still love the base game. Uh, now, personally, it's one of those games where I spent money to upgrade it because my fish are no longer blue cubes. They're little wooden fish. All right. Well, then you have Gloomhaven, which has been kickstarted multiple times. 
Now, Mo bit the bullet on one of the later printings, uh, yep. second or third. We don't even remember which one it was. Yeah, and then we played the game for more than a year, almost every week, and still never came close to finishing it. As far as I know, it could have been like the next scenario was the end, but it sure didn't feel like it. Uh, this is one I, I want to get back to. Um, like the, the COVID pandemic hit, then KTOR had a kid. We got We still got a KTOR arc, KTOR arc, or we got to find a new acronym for them. Clark, clerk. K-Torque? K-Torque. Yeah, maybe it's K-Torque. Yes, uh, the, the couple, we, Deanna and I were playing um, Gloomhaven with had a had a baby, and they're still in new parent land and probably will be there for a while. Um, th- this game just, like, it wasn't just us. It, this rocketed up the Board Game Geek rankings, uh, spent a number of months at number one. Um, it's currently still, I, I don't know if it's two or three, but it's it's in the top three. Like, you, you can't deny Gloomhaven being one of the best games to come out of kickstarter like like if we were ranking this list it would probably be number one no it's a fantastic cooperative dungeon crawler with a surprising amount of meat on it and a lot of euro mechanics not only a great game but it set the bar for the amount of content you get in one board game box Mm -hmm. replayability and box sizes (laughs) now many games have tried to recreate its success and none have yet to really pull it off no nothing nothing is compared I do keep hearing good things about Tainted Grail, though, but it definitely didn't make the hype plunge or, you know, not not getting the talk that Gloomhaven ever did. Going way back in the early days of Kickstarter, uh, first couple years, you have one of the first dice placement games that was ever published, and that is Alien Frontiers. This is one I didn't get into right away, but I had a friend who jumped in on it. It was their first back Kickstarter. And at the time, it was one of those where they'd show up with the game and everyone was like, you did what? What, you gave them money to help produce it? Like, like Kickstarter was so new, you are like, what are you doing? And you're throwing your money away. And sure enough, this game showed up. And it was solid, really solid. Um, that friend kept up with all the future releases and Kickstarters. I finally jumped in and bit the bullet myself with the fourth printing of the game. That was a Kickstarter that included a a new printing of the base game with some improvements as well as all the previous expansions. Then there were multiple Kickstarters after that. There there was an essential edition and there was um, a fifth printing and then a big box. And there was the rocket dice fiasco that happened in the middle of there, which I'm not going to dwell on. This is another one, though. That honestly, I got the the not the big box, but I got the the set with all the expansions with with all the factions and everything. And honestly, I'd rather just play the base game. There's a new edition of Alien Frontiers called Alien Frontiers Edition X, which was quietly released last year. Mm-hmm. It includes an all new expansion called the Data Core. Interestingly, this new version doesn't seem to have been crowdfunded. Yeah, it's odd. Now, we love this sci-fi themed game with its elegant mechanics and combination of area majority, take that, and exception-based technologies. And one small comment on Kickstarter, actually, at this point, I didn't know this existed until doing research for this particular episode, that there was an Edition X. So I don't know if that says something about not Kickstarting the game and no one hearing it, but I definitely hadn't until now. So I almost completely forgot that my number one game of all time, Anachrony, was originally Kickstarted. It was the first game. Uh, sorry, second. It's 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 the second game from Mind Clash Games. They they got their start on Kickstarter with Tricurion, Legends of Illusion. And from then on, they've been using Kickstarter to fund new games and still have them up today. Right now, they're going through the Perseverance series of games through Kickstarter. Now, Anachrony, as I mentioned, is my top game of all time. I really love that game. And I recently reinvested in it. It's one of the few games that I bothered to buy a second time 
because of a more recent Kickstarter, and that was for what they called the Infinity Box. This was a updated um, version of the game, like an updated rulebook, combination of deluxe components, new scenarios, a new totally new solo way to play, and a giant box that fit everything with game trays inserts. And it's one of the most expensive Kickstarters I ever backed, and I don't regret it at all. Though I do wish we got an acronym to the table more often. This is a game that seems super overwhelming, but that onboards you by preventing presenting very few valid options at the start of the game. Now, those options quickly branch out into a wealth of options and valuable strategies. And yes, this is the time travel game where you send yourself resources from the future, but risk a paradox if you don't remember to send themselves back to yourself when you get to the future you sent them from. Next, I have the Duke. Uh, maybe maybe we have four games that we always proselytize about. Um, the Duke was originally funded on Kickstarter way back in 2012. Did people even realize Kickstarter was around that long ago? This is one I did not kickstart. I picked up the game from our friendly local game store, um, the Catalyst Games version, and I had no clue it was a Kickstarter until I opened up the copy. And on the back of the game board is a list of backers being thanked for, for kickstarting it. And I'm like, oh, cool. I guess it's a Kickstarter game. And at that point, I knew Kickstarter was a thing, but like I wasn't following it. Now we've talked about the Duke on the show a ton. We both love the Duke. Um, and honestly, I've been praising it since it came out. Now, most of the stretch goals that were in the original Kickstarter became the expansion packs you can buy. So I never felt like I missed out on anything. I'm not backing the Kickstarter here because I did pick up all the stuff eventually. Now, interestingly, for the second printing, Catalyst skipped crowdfunding completely and just released the Duke Lord's Legacy, which had some of the original content as well. And next is the game that puts Stonemeyer Games on the map. Viticulture, that was Jamie's first published game, and honestly, still one of his best, in my opinion. It is a fantastic winemaking worker placement game that did a good job integrating its theme right into the mechanics. Now, Stonemeyer, of course, went on to crowdfund a number of other games, though eventually Jamie changed his mind on Kickstarter and crowdfunding in general, and now has a steady stream of releases coming direct from Stonemeyer Games. Now, another winemaking game is Vinhost Deluxe Edition from Eagle Griffin, who were honestly early adopters of Kickstarter. I, I had to, I looked this up, right? And I'm like, oh, wow, okay, that was Kickstarter. And I look and I, and they've launched stuff under Eagle Games and they've launched stuff under Griffin Games. And if you add up the number of projects between both of them, they have launched 100 Kickstarter product projects. I had no clue Eagle Griffin was that active on Kickstarter. Now, Fleet, I mentioned earlier, was from them. But I wanted to call out this one because this shows off what companies have done with Kickstarter to take a game that was successful, that was popular, that, that certain groups of gamers liked and make it explode. Like they take the designer and artist and improve everything about the game. The fact that it looks better, it's got better components, it has more clear rules, it has more variants. The deluxe edition of Vinos like destroys the original. Even more so, they even included the original rule set for people who liked the original still and didn't want the new rule changes. So I wanted to call out Vinhos Deluxe. Any more Kickstarter is pretty much a pre-order system for Eagle Griffin, and also the way all Ian O'Toole and Vital Lacerda games get released anymore. Inventions yeah. being the most recent, and we of course backed Weather Machine, which we all really enjoyed, but need to get to the table again. Next, I have Clans of Caledonia. Uh, this is a heavier economic game set in the Scottish Highlands. Um, that kind of looks like a Kickstarter game just because the sheer amount of wood in the game. There is a ton of components on this one. 
Now, I discovered Clans through my friend Neil, who did back the original Kickstarter. This is one of my favorite economic games of all times, uh, probably because it features a huge amount of asymmetry. At one point, this was like the heavy game we were playing every weekend, every event, physically. Then we discovered it on Board Game Arena. We played a lot of games on BGA, and it was on repeat for a good part of a year with one game and another starting over and over again. There we learned how the different clans played and how your strategy had to adapt, not only for your clan, but for what other clans the other players were playing. Okay, you had to know we were going to bring this up. We've already mentioned it like three times, but now it's officially on the list. Uh, That is Garinto. If it wasn't for Garinto, I would have never never have met Mark Spector or Grand Gamers Guild, our current sponsor. But that's not what I want to highlight about Garinto. It's not just because it made that bridge for us. I want to call it out because it's still one of the best abstract strategy games in my collection that happens to also feature fantastic components and a great table presence. Yeah, draft and place tiles that let you collect more tiles. The more tiles you have in a color, the more powerful that element becomes and the more tiles you can draft with it. But watch the current scoring cards and make sure what you are grabbing is helping and not hurting your final score. Yeah, we still love Garinto. Uh, it still sees regular play, both with my friends and family and local events. Like, honestly, getting to know Mark and Grand Gamers Guild is a sweet bonus, some sweet icing on the cake, but I would love Garinto either way. Well, I love big, epic sci-fi 4X games, and so far the best I have played is Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy. Now, this one is interesting as the original game wasn't a Kickstarter or crowdfunded in any way. Mo had a copy and raved about it, but I never got to try the original. And you never will, because the original is out of my collection. The the original was one of my top games of all time. At one point, uh, back when I was running the Windsor Gaming Resource and the Pro Boards, it was my favorite game. I sold that, though, because I replaced it with Second Dawn, which was a Colossal Games Kickstarter, a pretty big one. This was a reboot of the original and a deluxe edition kind of all-in-one. They streamlined the rules, they improved the components, they and refined the existing expansions, added new content, and of course put everything in a big shiny new box with fantastic game trays inserts. Like this is still this would probably be my number one game if it got to the table more often. Next, I have the Brass Games, Brass Lancashire and Brass Birmingham, which has a similar story to Eclipse, which is why it follows Eclipse, because I love Brass. I love it. It's one of the best Martin Wallace games I've ever played. It's one of the best pick-up-and-deliver games. It is a fantastic economic game back before the Kickstarter, back when it was very brown and orange. It was both one of the best games in my collections and the ugliest game in my collection at once. Then Roxley decided to reboot the game with a new look, a slight refinement in rules, uh, which helps you if you've got a bad hand. There's a new rule where you can discard two matching cards to do an action. And a totally new edition, because they put out two games. There's Brass Birmingham, which is the game I love, just made pretty, with one little rule tweak, and Brass Lancashire, which is a totally new game using the same mechanics with new maps and a new resource, which everyone likes to joke about. Uh, That almost sold me. Like I, I was like, yeah, but I've got my copy of Brass. But then they also introduced the gaming world to what they call Iron Clays, gamer poker chips, poker chips for hobby gamers, and they threw those in with the backing when you backed brass and that was it i was in all in i i actually got two sets of iron clays because i got them for both games and i got both new printings yeah this one was a bit of a slow burn in the community though yeah, yeah there was a lot of buzz when the kickstarter was announced and when it delivered there was more but not a ton 
People kept talking about the games and more people tried them. And now Brass Birmingham is the number one game on Board Game Geek and has been for a better part of a year, I believe. That's yeah, the one with the new map and rules. And the original is still in the top 20. Yeah. So one Kickstarter has two games in the top 20 on Board Game Geek. It is fantastic. And the Iron Clays have their own entry. I don't know. I don't know if they have a rank, but I still love those Iron Clays. What I need to do is I need to take them out and put them somewhere. So we use them in other games. Next, I have Scythe. I already mentioned how Stonemeyer got started with Viticulture, but I haven't called out Scythe, which was their most successful Kickstarter. And yes, I will say Viticulture put Stonemeyer on the map, but it put it on like a small point on the map that only a few people knew about. Scythe is where uh, the Jamie exploded. That's 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 when everyone, the entire gaming industry, started taking notice. The game got into mass market stores. It is a fantastic game. Though this was the uh, we were latecomers, like complete total latecomers to due to this one. Um, uh, it was an initial bad experience uh, based on who I played with. Now I remember it being on Kickstarter. Though what I remember it being on Kickstarter was everyone going on about the art, not the game. It was all about the art and the setting. Yeah, Scythe is getting quite old in board game terms, but you still hear people talking about it, including us. It's one of those games where we show a picture or mention playing it, and people come out of the woodwork to point out how big a fan they are. Now, while the core game hasn't seen an update since 2018, the series continues with with a new sequel, Expeditions, which just showed up last weekend for Moe's birthday. So we're looking forward to checking that out soon. All right, that's what we have for board games, but... Uh, we are the tabletop bellhop, not the board game bellhop. So that's actually not a bad name. We could have went with that. Um, we talk all things tabletop. So I want to highlight some RPGs that came through. Now, as Sean mentioned, there are a ridiculous amount of RPGs that have gone through Kickstarter. Again, we are going with ones that we think are awesome that happen to be on Kickstarter. And I am going to start with the One Ring Second Edition from uh, Freely Publishing. Now, I know the original One Ring, the first printing, the first edition came out. And one of the things that that was like a highlight was it came with a dice tray with the unique dice and it was in a sleeve and it looked kind of cool. I don't know what was going on at the time in my life. I wasn't playing RPGs or I was happy playing Warhammer, but I, I didn't really care. Now, I remember it got a lot of praise and you don't hear much. But then it was a real big splash in the TTRPG industry when it was announced that Free League would be taking over the license and relaunching a new edition this time being crowdfunded on Kickstarter. Once that hit, now I started to really hear about the game. Now, at the time, I still wasn't really doing RPGs, or again, I might have been busy running something specific, so didn't back it. Now, thankfully, Free League reached out to us to ask if we were interested in reviewing the game and sent me copies of the starter set and a DM screen and uh, the rulebook. And and I'm blown away by this game. Like, this game is fantastic. Like, I don't want to start a whole bash on D&D thing, but this does... Tolkien's Middle Earth so much better than what people tend to do with it in games like Dungeons and Dragons. It has all the shadow and the interactions and traveling, and it it feels like a Tolkien game designed to recreate the Tolkien feel and not just a big combat system about beating up orcs. I am really looking forward to actually running this, but it looks fantastic. I, I am I'm still blown away by this game. Every time I pick it up and look at it, it just looks so beautiful. Now, continuing on, we can pretty much say, well, just about anything from Free League. Uh, yeah. Between Alien the RP, RPG, Forbidden Lands, and probably our favorite of theirs, Tales from the Loop, the RPG, yeah. not the board game. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. 
Tales from the Loop, I've read and played, so that's that's even better. I need to run that for some people. Tales from the Loop is also neat. They're one, uh, what is it, one die engine? Now I can't remember what the name of their system is. Yeah, oh, I feel bad. Yeah, one die engine. It is one die engine? Okay, yeah. I, I is is actually a really great system. Uh, next, though, I am going to call out one that I haven't played, but I, I wanted to put it on the list because I think it's important, and that is Coyote and Crow. Um, This is such a beautiful book that just deserved to be made. I know we're not supposed to be commenting on what things should and shouldn't be on Kickstarter, but this was using Kickstarter for what it's for. I am so glad to have this on my shelf, though I feel terrible talking about it because I haven't actually sat down to read it. I did flip through it, though. It's beautiful. But I don't even mind that I haven't played it. Like, like just donating to the cause in a way makes me feel good. We even did the buy an extra copy someone for someone in need pledge where you get you buy two copies of the game, you get one, and then they send the other to someone in need. I, I, this was just a very cool project to see crowdfunded well next up we have evil hat games who have been using kickstarter to publish their games for some time and they make some fantastic ones games like thirsty sword lesbians apocalypse keys and blades in the dark which i think most people have to admit is a foundational work that has inspired so many others as well as just being a solid game itself yeah the big one for me from evil hat uh you might be able to see it behind me over my shoulder is fake core they made a huge mark in the TTRPG industry uh, and, and with fellow RPG players, but Fate Core made waves. Like Fate was big for a while and people were talking about everyone. I, it felt for a bit there for the year that came out, it was like every single person converted their system to Fate Core and you're still feeling parts of that. I back this one. I, I all in back this one. I have every Fate Core book and like six different setting books and all of the different um, how to make stuff and fake core supers and all of that. This fake core compared to the original fate, going back to the original FUD system, looking at games like Caribus Club and the Dresden files, it's like night and day. They managed to distill the fate system down to something manageable, rules light and fantastic while still having crunch, which is something it's like the indie game with crunch. I love it so much streamlining. And then, of course, they they. Dumbed it down even more. Dumbed is probably the wrong word. Sorry. Simplified it even more with um, Fate Accelerated, which was also part of the Kickstarter. And you could buy for five bucks. This is a super rules light version of Fate. Like what it did for Fate is huge. Now, of course, this only scratches the surface and is a very yeah. small sample of great games to come out of Kickstarter. Severely limited to just those games we have personally have experience with. Yeah. In the RPG sphere, for instance, Avatar is hard to ignore being, yeah. you know, one of the top 10 earners of all time, though I have no idea if it's a good game because we've <laughs> never had it. Uh, many, in fact, suggest it might not be the greatest oh. game, but for all of its quality or not, it has certainly made Powered by the Apocalypse far well uh, more well known to the world mm -hmm. uh, as well. The new uh, MCDM RPG is making a giant splash right now and we've got a play tester for it in our chat room yep. uh numenera put Monty cook back on the map and games like far west gained notoriety for mm, entirely the wrong reasons yeah. and now on the board game side of things of course the elephant in the room that we didn't mention a single game from would be simon games or cool mini or not games or whatever they want to be called now which went from a hot or not style miniature rating site to one of the biggest publishers and board games in the world all due to kickstarter now for the mfp if you do want my recommendation i almost put rising sun on the list tonight but there's also other board games that, that set records blew people away games that people are still playing stuff like kingdom death monster Cthulhu Wars, Tainted Grail, Nemesis, and honestly, even Exploding Kittens, that whole brand. 
launched because of Kickstarter. That launched an empire of party games. Well, there you have what we think of some of the best games to come out of Kickstarter. Now, what's the best game that you've played that was originally crowdfunded? Did you back it or did you pick it up after the fact? Let us know about it in the comments. Or join us on the Tabletop Bellhop Discord at discord.tabletopbellhop.com, where I'm sure Sean would love to chat with you about the merits and flaws of Kickstarter back when it started and where it is now. And now a word from our sponsor, Grand Gamers Guild. Uh, this one actually ties in well with our last episode. Love is in the air. You may just made last minute reservation plans for a romantic dinner, only to find out you're in for a more puzzling experience. <laughs> now, game number four in the highly acclaimed holiday hijinks series, The Cupid Crisis, is a full one hour romantic escape room adventure in just 18 cards and a perfect way to spend your Valentine's Day with your gaming partner. Yeah, we just reviewed this one last week after Dan and I played it on a date night. Uh, biting the bullet and not playing it on Valentine's Day so we could share our thoughts with you in time to pick up a copy for yourself before the big day. The Cupid Crisis is available as a single game, print and play, or part of a bundle at GrandGamersGuild.com, where you can use our exclusive code BELLHOP, B-E-L-L-H-O-P, to save 10% on this or any of their other great games. And now it's time to check in with Lobby, our chat room here on Twitch. Hey, inmates. Yes, hey, inmates. The inmates have been loud. They are going hoppies. That one's weird, bell hoppies. Bell All right, hoppies so I hoppies. am scrolling way back here. Yeah, we got lots. We this got has lots been to cover a here. lot of chat here. So, so as Sean's scrolling, look forward to a list of recommended games from Kickstarter from tabletop bellhop fans who we like to call the lobbyists, but are debating what their final name should be. All right, so I'm going to start off here. Roger Dodger starts off with Obsession Rocks. For good things, that is the um, uh, Pride and Prejudice, I can't think of, Jane Austen board game. Uh, followed by Distilled, which I think we'll all agree is a great I, one. I couldn't decide if I put that on the list or not tonight. It was one of those, when I was clearing out the Calac behind me for last week, I was like, yeah, I probably should put Distilled on there. But everything we talked about were older games. And I decided to kind of stick with what we had. But yeah, it definitely could have been on the list. We are loving Distilled. Uh, Eggman Jr.'s Raising Robots was a great great Kickstarter. That's one I don't know off the top of my head. If I looked it up, I'd probably look familiar. Uh, Roger mentions Age of Comics looks good. And I agree. Oh, I, unfortunately, no one knows whether it's a great game or not, but it certainly looks uh, solid. So uh, one quick side note. Anyone getting a list of these? I guess I can listen to Sean yeah. so I can put them in the show notes. So I just realized I'm like, I should be typing these out as you're going. <laughs> I'll just listen to it later. It's all good. Keep going. All right. Danger uh, Comics. Uh, Roger's reading on Fractured Sky, which looks really good. That's not one I know again. Um, uh, Math Guy Days has uh, the Lazy DM's Forge of Foes for 5e. Nice. DCC Dying Earth. Immersive battle maps for tabletop role-playing games. Cool. And the first thing I ever backed on Kickstarter were RPG battle maps. And Humblewood. Nice. Uh, no, uh, no, no MC DM. What? Uh, Mick DM. What? What is no, MC DM RPG? Yeah, is that it? Uh, uh, Roger oh, yeah, has Fractured Sky. Yep. Those inserts are fantastic. Like the player boards. Holy cow! And Deanna's looking at it too. Man, those <laughs> player boards are awesome. I'm on Factured Sky now. Uh, Red Meeple Ryan mentioning Empire's Age of Discovery. 
Uh, that one, if I remember, didn't do too good. There was, there was an issue, if I remember. Uh, in the Hall of the Mountain King from Eggman I, Jr.? I've got to play. I, I saw that. Sorry, I saw that one um, at uh, Ugin, or no, uh, CG Realm before they moved. Mm. That one looked pretty good. More of a party game than I expected. Jack calling out. He backed Garinto because of us. Sweet. Uh, and he hated it. No, he loves it. I know he does. He's mentioned it before. Eggman Jr. Uh, Town Folk Tussle is another good one. And uh, Tenere's Adventures plus Arena. Oh, that one looked good. Uh, another vote for Eclipse Second Dawn. Oh, yeah. Uh, and another vote for Second Dawn. Uh, Eggman saying Suburbia Collector's Edition. Uh, say anything, Suburbia I, is great. I was so tempted. So tempted. Know what I don't like now? The new expansions that are coming out require that. Uh, That's frustrating to me as someone who went all in on not only the second printing, but the new art, the original printing. Uh, title Bleeds heroes of the reef that was an interesting one that's uh, that's from um the people who did uh oh, what is it zaya oh zaya should have been on my list how did i not put zaya on the list <laughs> we haven't okay, played zaya, zaya in throw so that long up there. That's, god that's zaya zaya especially the second kit we backed the first kickstarter and then we backed their second one the empires of the new dawn or whatever there that came with the spell sword and the new missions zaya should have been on my list that was a complete omission that's because the x part of my basement is still buried and I didn't see it. Zaya should have been on the list. Uh, Eggman mentioning Fire Tower. So fun. That one looks neat. We got to see that at, uh, at yeah, Origins. Yeah, we saw that at Origins. Uh, Crusaders, Thy Will Be Done Deluxified. Did that deliver? I know there were issues with that. That was um, Tasty Minstrel Games. It was kickstarted right when they were um, right when they were going under. Mm. Uh, and more I hope the, it did. More from no, Eggman. I'm, I'm the screwing Grim up with Forest. Tidal Blades. Tidal Blades, I was thinking of Havura. Hmm. As as is the game I was confusing with. Title Blades is not what I was thinking of, so not from the same people as as Zaya. Okay. Cody Miller's the designer of Tavura. Sorry, that's me mixing things up. Yeah, Eggman Jr. continues the Grim Forest. Simple game, great production. Uh, yeah, uh, our friend Ross backed that one, and I gotta say it looks good. I found the game a little lighter. I didn't need to own that one. I did try it. Deanna played it actually, and I watched the game. Uh Ryan saying Steampunk Rally was his first Kickstarter back that got him onto Kickstarter. We okay, all have a, yeah, we all I, have our first mistake. <laughs> I, I've heard of that one. I, I don't know. Um, Raiders of oh, the North Sea. MCDM is on backer kit. There you go. Okay. Raiders of the North Sea with playmat and expansions. Oh, Raiders of the North Sea is good. That, that's one we bought. Bought that uh, one. Love Rogers it. Rogers pointing out Moonshine Empire, which was a big mistake in backing. Cool. We do uh, have an episode about that. I don't want to go back to it again, but if anyone does want to hear about our biggest Kickstarter mistakes, we do have an episode you can find in our backlog. Uh, Eggman Jr. Deluxe Dinosaur Island. I it was that game did not it didn't satisfy. La, didn't la, I, I don't it, know. It it, it 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 was kind of like yay uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I I went all in. I got I got I didn't get the Dulasaurus, but I got like the two the two the expansion and the base game, and I still have the Pogs downstairs. That was a Kickstarter stretch goal. I have the Pogs from that game. Um, the coins are really nice. So I've heard people say the enamel chips over time, but I didn't play it enough to see that. I, I don't know. I thought I was going to enjoy that game way more. Uh, yeah, you played it with Ross, Deanna. Deanna played Grim Forest with Ross at Brimstone Games. And Eggman says, finally, Champions of Midgard with Plumat and Expansions. <laughs> I, I just sold that game. That is no longer in my collection. Uh, another vote for uh, Eclipse. <laughs> so, yeah, Eclipse, based on our chat room, Eclipse is the number one game to come out of Kickstarter, it seems. Uh, Ryan's waiting for the next BT Kickstarter, Heroes 3 board games, and Hero Realms Dungeon Kickstarter. 
Oh, they, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am looking forward to hearing people's feedback on Heroes. Heroes of Might and Magic 3. I, I, that's one I may regret not backing. <laughs> uh, Ryan's favorite Kickstarter projects. Everdell Complete, mm-hmm. BT Clan Invasion, BT Mercs, and The Networks. The, the Networks, networks is was good. Yeah. yeah, Networks was good. That, that was, we won a copy of that game. Sean and Dana yeah. technically won a copy of that game at a con during a play to win event. Uh, Ryan backed Avatar, and apparently there have been screws ups in fulfillment. Ooh, not good. Uh, Dave mentions uh, Shadow Dark. That probably deserves a mention in RPGs. Uh, and- RPGs, I, I had more. I could have talked oh, about yeah. Feng Shui too. Um, the Numenera Reliquary box we backed. Um, I used to back um, uh, our. I, I almost should have put this on the list. Worldwide Wrestling, I backed twice. I backed the original printing of Worldwide Wrestling and the second edition. Yeah, both of us backed Worldwide second time. Mobile Frame Zero, like like there's there's quite a few. The Roll Camera reprint, that's a good one. Uh, I didn't have to back that, but that that's <laughs> a good game. Like there was lots. I have lots of yeah. Kickstarter games. Again, we were trying to do best of the best. Yeah, Worldwide Wrestling it, it isn't as big an admission as Zaya, but I think I should have called it out. Yeah, I actually had. I even thought about Worldwide Wrestling, but I'm like, I don't know. It, it, did it make it actually? Did it, you know. Is yeah, but really again, I, I didn't care if it made a splash. I cared if I loved the game, yeah. and I did love the game. Fair enough. That's what I was going for. I didn't care if it was an important Kickstarter to the industry. <laughs> I just cared if I liked the game. Seas of Havoc, yeah. I, I, we definitely have enjoyed Seas of Havoc. It, I don't think it beats out anything else on my list, though. Yeah. Like, All I right. was selective. We could we could have kept going. Well, we burned through the list there, so I think it is about time to go for a refill so that we yep. don't uh, extend ourselves. Welcome to our review of The Groundhog Gambit, game number six in the Holiday Hijinx series of games from our sponsor, Grand Gamers Guild, who we have to thank for dropping off a review copy to us last summer. The Groundhog Gambit is an 18-card escape room in a box with the theme of Groundhog Day, which falls on February 2nd here in Canada and the U.S., which is based on a Pennsylvania Dutch superstition about the length of, uh, of the winter. Now, the superstition states that if a groundhog emerges from its burrow on this day and sees its shadow, it will retreat to its den and winter will go on for six more weeks. If it does not see its shadow, spring will arrive early. Now, oddly, though, this escape room game by designer Jonathan Schaefer has nothing to do with woodchucks. It's instead inspired by the very popular Bill Murray movie instead. Welcome to our review of The Groundhog Gambit. Game number six in the Holiday Hijink series of games from our sponsor, Grand Gamers Guild, who we have to thank for dropping off a review copy to us last summer. The Groundhog Gambit is an 18-card escape room in a box with the theme of, okay, okay, we're kidding, we're kidding, we're just joking. So this puzzle game is designed for one or more players of any age and can be played in about two hours. This is actually double the length of all the other Holiday Hijink schemes to date. This game is split into two parts, which should take about an hour each. You can try and solve the mystery in one sitting, or you can split it over more than one night. In the Groundhog Gambit, it's a cold February morning, and you find yourself trapped in timely manner, trying to escape while dealing with the result of the professor's experiments gone wrong. Will you be able to escape in time? Just like the rest of the holiday hijinks games, the Groundhog Gambit is just a small pack of 18 double-sided cards with instructions on how to play found inside the resealable packaging. We didn't bother doing an unboxing as there really isn't much to see, and we also don't want to spoil anything. Quality here is what we've come to expect from Grand Gamers Guild. 
With these games featuring clear instructions, solid iconography, good quality cards, and all the information you need right at your fingertips. Playing the Groundhog Gambit involves opening up the pack of cards, setting the cards aside without looking at them, and opening a web-based app that will work in any browser, meaning it will work on pretty much any device from mobile to desktop. Once you have the page up and select Start next to the Groundhog Gambit, the game begins in the form of a point-and-click style adventure. You draw a card which shows a room with some features on it that have numbers next to them. You start with the look ability, which you can look at things by hitting the look button on the app and entering the number of what you want to look at. As you look at things around the room, the game will have you draw new cards, giving you new things to look at, tools which will unlock new actions, and presenting you with puzzles you need to solve. Each puzzle is indicated by a magnifying glass, and for each of these you will need to enter your solution into the app. Now, do remember that each magnifying glass signifies a different puzzle. You need to answer one thing into the app for each magnifying glass. Because we missed this at one point with this one, and we're really stuck. Because we were instructed to draw two cards, and based on the descriptions on the cards and everything, it's like, oh, there's a keyboard on the wall, blah, 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 enter your password. We did that, and we got completely stuck. Well, it ended up there was a magnifying glass on each of the cards, and there was actually two things we needed to enter, and we didn't notice that at first. Now, in addition to solving puzzles, you will unlock a number of different objects, which can be combined with the numbers on the cards in the way the look action you start with works. Now, these combinations will lead you to drawing more cards and potentially unlocking more tools. And this reminded me a bit of the Coded Chronicles system from the Ops Escape Room games. Now, while we are going through this adventure, if you get stuck, the app does have a couple of ways to help. First off, there's an information button you can click that gives you access to a number of standard puzzle-based ciphers and other information. Useful for this specific game, you get atomic numbers and symbols for various elements. The app also has a graduated hint system, where you just find the card you were stuck on and tap on it to get hints. Now, these start off just by making sure you haven't missed anything totally obvious. Then letting you know what cards you should be looking at and continuing until giving you the final answer. You continue through the game using the objects you find, solving puzzles until you get to the end and finally escape. You're then presented with a final score and the option to send your play info off to Grand Gamers Guild, where they'll use it to improve future games. The Groundhog Gambit is quite a bit different from all of the other holiday hijinks games. This starts with the estimated game length being two hours instead of one. Yeah, you're basically getting double the value here for the same amount of money, which is a nice touch. Now, that does mean you need to set aside more time. You're going to need a couple hours at once or split the game over multiple nights, which could be good or bad. And all still with the same physical content you get mm -hmm. in every other Holiday Hijinks game. Yeah, you don't get double the stuff, double the game. Now, the next change is really the overall tone of the game, like the way this one plays. While it has similar similarities to the birthday burglary, where you have objects you collect as you explore, this one feels even more so like a digital point-and-click adventure where you're managing an inventory. Now, this is all handled on cards and through the app. This includes having elements where you actually like will find a tool, then go back to a card you explored earlier to now have new things to try the tool on. Um, this was also gave you a great sense of exploration, like you kind of felt like you were wandering around this lab and trying out different things, which was quite fun. Well, I suppose that's a mix of good and bad, uh, depending on your view. While having your physical game be more point and clicky versus having experience, more experiences with that same limited system, kind of taking give and take. Now, the most impressive thing, though, is the way the same 18-card deck is used repetitively to present you with different puzzles and clues 
off the same cards. Like I can't help but be impressed by the behind the scenes design work that went into this this game, the Groundhog Gambit. Like it blows my mind that Jonathan was able to come up with some of this stuff. Like I, I've noted in previous reviews of Holiday Hijinks, how I'm always blown away by each game being different and how it plays. Well, this was like a step above all the other ones. I was just like, wow, you did this with only 18 cards. Well, one does have to wonder just how much they can get out of 18 cards, yet they continue to impress us with what they manage with every game in the series so far. Now, I don't know if it was the added complexity of using the same cards for different things or something else. The fact it was double the time that were more puzzles in this game or what it was. But on our first attempt to solve the Groundhog Gambit, something went wrong with the app. Now, when using the app, you can back out for any reason, like open up another app or close your phone or take a break or pause it while people are going to the washroom, which is a nice feature. When you go back to the page where it has the app, you always get the option resume or restart, which is also the way this game saves, right? When you finish the first section, it says, feel free to close the app. When you come back, be sure to hit the resume button. Which is certainly normal enough app behavior and basically what one expects nowadays from any modern up-to-date app. Now, while playing all the games in the series, I am constantly jumping out of the app. Now, this is probably unique to me because I'm doing it because we're reviewing these games. So I'm taking pictures of us playing and I'm getting a shot of Gwen holding some cards or someone writing on a dry erase marker. And I'm tweeting and sharing on social media. Hey, look, we're playing this right now, right? That's part of what we do as uh, here at the Tabletop Bellhop. This was never a problem until the other day when I jumped out and came back and it started glitching on me. I'm like, well, I'm putting in the answer and we're certain this is the right answer. And we double check it's the right answer. And then it ends up the game didn't remember where we were. There's a history you can look at. And it's showing me the history about four cards back and honestly, five puzzles back. Once we enter in the solutions to those five puzzles, we already figured out the game did continue. We were able to catch up and continue playing. But then we got to the check chapter break. And like I said, when you finish the first section, it's like close the app and leave it. Well, we did that. Then when I reopened it, it was back to that exact same spot. Now more than four cards back. And no matter what I did, anytime I hit resume, it started us at the same spot on the same puzzle. Now, sadly, this is not unexpected and perhaps surprising that it took this many games to find a bug. And we it's a hazard of mixing technology with board games. One of the many hazards that we've discussed on previous episodes about technology and board games yeah and and i gotta admit at first we were kind of wondering if it was intentional right given the theme of the game that the, the being it things jumping back but it's not the, the app isn't meant to reset to the same spot every time um something broke so to finish the game we had to restart we had to click the restart button start from the beginning which wasn't too bad because we already knew all the answers for the puzzles and thankfully we took a lot of notes there were a couple we had to kind of relook at the cards and go do you remember what this one was again but it was annoying and what I really didn't like, and I guess it's not that big a deal, but like this totally ruined our final score. So I have no idea what our final score would have been in this. Yeah, as time is a real part of the score, you'd have to know exactly how long you had spent prior to it glitching in order to you know sit around and wait that long before you put <laughs> in uh, put in the things to to catch up time wise. Yeah, and you'd have to also like ask for the same hints you used the first time, and if you entered any wrong answers, like all of that affects your score, and it was all lost. Now, I got to say, this is the first glitch we've ever encountered with any of these games, and we have played and reviewed all of them at this point. I doubt anyone else playing is jumping in and out of the app the way I am. I doubt they're closing it and opening it and closing it and opening it. Our second playthrough, everything was fine. 
So I hope this was an isolated incident. Now, I did um, send off a bunch of information and screenshots to the publisher and designer, and they are looking into what happened, hopefully being able to fix it. And one of the bonuses of this being an app is they can do that. They can just update the app without anyone knowing there was ever anything wrong. So hopefully it becomes even more rare for all of those who follow in our footsteps and uh, play the game that we are suggesting still is worth playing. Yeah, because honestly, except for that one problem, we had a great time playing the Groundhog Gambit. I, I, I in the notes, I actually put good time. I'm like, no, great. Like, like we're still talking about this one. This featured a really nice mix of different puzzle types uh, requiring different skills. There was math. There was spelling. There was wordsy. There was um, tracing patterns. There was pattern recognition. Like there was just a ton of different puzzle types in this game, having to spot things and visual acuity. And then the whole system for collecting and using items was just more enjoyable. And of course, there was the fantastic twist, which I'm pretty sure most people can guess what that was already, was handled in an extremely smart way. Well, as we've come to expect from Jonathan's games now, after working through them, that's, you know, a solid, play, enjoyable game. Now, I will say my family was a little disappointed, especially the kids, that there wasn't really any reference to Groundhog Day, the holiday. Yes, there's a groundhog in the day, technically two ones, just like an image on the corner of a card. And there's another one you interact with, but it's a small thing in one puzzle. And like, you're not playing a groundhog that's trapped in the lab, which could have been a thing. It just seems odd to me to have a holiday themed game, but base it on a movie that's set on that holiday and not actually about the holiday. And my kids were just confused because they've never seen Bill Murray repeat things over and over. So I guess it's worth noting. You don't need to know the movie, and, well, you also don't need to know what happens if Wyrton Willie V sees his shadow in a couple weeks. Well, I think that while the name and a bit of the celebration of the animal exists, the origins and connection to the animal and what it means has generally been lost. Yeah. So that the movie now has a larger cultural connection than the actual ceremony. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess it makes me sad just because I, I remember, especially as a kid, getting up that day and, you know, waiting for the paper to see if Wyatt in Canada, it's Wyatt Tim Willie, if Wyatt Tim Willie had seen their shadow. Overall, though, if you dig Escape Room in a Box style games, I can't help but recommend the Groundhog Gambit. It is the most impressive of the Holiday Hijinks series. It's the chunkiest one. It's the most difficult. It's it's it features the most clever use yet of 18 cards and offers double the game length for the same price as the other games in the series. And that's saying something since we have been impressed with every pack of these yep. we've opened. Now, if you're new to these sort of games, I'd be sure to play in a group at least, or maybe start off with one of the easier games in the series. This one is ranked three out of three and it is longer. And um, just to get you used to how things work in this style of game, the type of puzzles, how you enter them. This one is not easy to solve. Uh, we used multiple hints this time and even had to click on a full solution to figure things out. And we played a lot of Escape Room in a Box games at this point. So not the one you should start with unless you're already a pretty confident puzzle solver. Now you can pick up the Groundhog Grambit. Grambit? I don't know what just happened. You can pick up the Groundhog Gambit directly from GrandGamersBuild.com where you can get it as a standalone game. Part of a bundle, or if you really want to save some money, you can get it in print and play. When there, remember to use our exclusive discount code BELLHOP, that's B-E-L-L-H-O-P, to save 10% off your order. At this point, we've now reviewed every holiday hijinks game that Grand Gamers Guild has released. Be sure to check out those other reviews for more holiday escape room style gaming fun. I'll be sure to top links to each of them in the notes. Welcome to a review of... 
Block and Key from Canadian publisher Inside Up Games. We have to thank for letting us take a review copy of this spatial reasoning game home from Origins 2023. Block and Key was designed by David Van Drunen and features artwork by Udo Valls. Or Valls? Oh, sorry, Udo Valls. It was originally kickstarted back in 2022. Now you can pick up the retail version direct from Inside Up Games from many online retailers and potentially at your friendly local game store. Now this striking board game plays one to four players with games taking under an hour. It features a nice low weight, making the basic gameplay easy to pick up and accessible to gamers young and old. Now Block and Key has players exploring an ancient temple trying to solve riddles which involve finding and placing blocks or something like that. Uh, this is an abstract game with a very three-dimensional look to it. It has players drafting, then placing clay blocks onto a dual layer board, attempting to match patterns on their hand of cards, while also simultaneously trying to mess with their opponents so they can't match their patterns. Now, of course, the neat bit here is that only your two-dimensional view of the block from your side of the board are what matters to you. Yeah, there's a little bit of pasted on theming here, but the dual layered board and actual clay blocks are a key part of this game. And you can see them in our block and key unboxing video on YouTube. And there you can also see me fumble around with trying to set up the board properly for the first time. Um, and note to anyone, do not try to pick it up from the bottom shelf because the bottom shelf isn't actually attached. It's just sitting there. Um, I also do show off the slightly confusing rule book, which now makes a lot more sense than it did when I encoded the unboxing. You know, the flap I complain about is actually so you can leave the examples open and visible as you flip through the book and so that you can see them in multiple languages. It's actually kind of smart, but it is weirdly floppy. Um, I, of course, show off the blocks themselves and the various card decks. Now, the component quality ranges from fantastic to baffling. For example, the box comes in a very thin, easily damaged sleeve. A sleeve that they also spent money to add UV spot coating to to make the gold shine. Yeah. A sleeve that was already showing wear after our second play. Then there's the images on the board that are meant to be rule references, but are frankly quite confusing. Yeah, they, they did unique artwork on each side of the board. And when I, I don't know, it's an odd choice. Now, on the other end, though, you have the ceramic blocks, which are some of the most pleasing to hold touch hefts use and place board game components i've ever had they have a real weight to them and they just they give you that impression of ancient stone and i love the way they sound the, the the clink and clack in the bag and then in between are the cards which are clear easy to read good quality they're just good components and then there's the method of setting up the double board which isn't a hundred percent clear as indicated by the many pictures we found of people setting it up in different ways Yes. As well as some concerns about how long these verticals are going to last with regular setup and teardown. So I do have to say, when you build it correctly, it's way more sturdy than you'd expect. But realize that the blocks pushing down is part of it. Again, don't try to lift that <laughs> box up, maybe by the legs, if you can hold all four at once. Now, setting up the board is the first step to actually playing lock and key. Once the board is set up, players need to sit around it. Now, there are specific seating spots at each of the player counts, which is indicated on the board. For example, when playing two players, you need to be next to each other, not opposite each other. Yeah, more so than most games where you sit actually matters in block and key. This is a game where a smaller table is going to be better, and you want each player to not only be able to face the board squarely, but be able to reach pretty much all of the top board. Now, once everyone has found a spot, 
They are each dealt a hand of cards. Two easy star starting star cards, one medium sun card, and one hard moon card. Each player also gets one of the four enigma cards. Any remaining star and enigma cards are removed from play, and the remaining sun and moon cards are placed on their designated spots on the bottom layer of the board. Next, you're going to find the core cube. This is the only 2x2x2 two by two by two block in the game, and it's given to the start player. The rest of the blocks are placed in the bag, shuffled up, and the market grid on the bottom board is filled with randomly drawn blocks. The starting player is going to place the core cube on the board in its designated spot, choosing whichever side they want to face them. Then in reverse player order, players will draft their starting blocks. Whenever you are drafting, drafting blocks in block and key, you choose one column or one row of the market and take all of the blocks from that strip. Now, usually this will be three blocks, but near the end of the game, there may be less. After any blocks are drafted, they are replaced in an order based on the numbers on the board from low to high. Now, each turn, players have two options. You can excavate blocks, taking a set of blocks, as just described, or you can place a block. When placing a block, you choose one block from your supply and place it onto the board on the top layer, following a pretty restrictive set of placement rules. The first of these is that a block can be placed so that at least one corner is touching the corner of another block on the board. Next, a block can be placed touching another block, but the new block must be taller than the highest face of the stacks it touches. Now, blocks do not have to be placed on the board surface. They can be placed on other blocks. But when doing so, the maximum height of a stack is only six faces. Finally, bridges are allowed, but overhangs are not. Now, once you place a block, you can then claim a key by placing a card from your hand that has a pattern on it that matches your unique 2D perspective of the board from the side you are playing on. The block you just played must contribute at least one face to this pattern, so no turning in cards for patterns your opponents complete, incidentally. No patterns on cards can be matched in any orientation, rotated in any way, but not flipped. After turning in one or more cards, trust me, turning in two in one turn feels really good, you then draw replacements, and at that point you can choose. Do you want medium sun cards or hard moon cards to replace the cards you played? Play continues until a player has played a set amount of cards based on the player count. 12 for two players, 8 for three players, 7 for four. At this point, everyone gets one more turn, and then you calculate your final score. So each card you played is worth points, which is shown in the top corner of the cards. In addition, everyone then scores their Enigma card. Each Enigma card shows one of the game's four colors. Each player will count how much of that color, how many faces they can see on their side of the board, divide that by three, and add that to their card total for a final score. The player with the most point wins, and there are three different tiebreakers, just in case players have the same score. Now, Block and Key also includes a solo mode where you play through 11 turns, trying to score as high as possible. Now, this isn't just a matter of playing the game as usual to get your score. To make things interesting, the Temple Age Ancients are messing with you and moving blocks on their own. Any turn you don't claim a key card, or you play a card, you're going to take a card and put it face down into what becomes the Ancient deck. Anytime you draw a new key card, you enact an Ancient's turn, which has you flipping over the top card from this deck and using it to draft and place a single tile on the board, potentially messing with your plans. There's also a system for discarding key cards that I kind of wish was in the main game as well. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen that. I, I wonder if there's a variant out there. Now, Blocking Key is a game that I almost missed completely and totally. It, it slipped under my radar. I don't remember the Kickstarter, um, though I will admit I don't pay as much attention to crowdfunding hotness as I used to, but I also don't remember hearing any hype about this one at all. 
I'm not saying it's not out there, but I missed it. I only discovered this due to heading to the Inside Up Games booth at Origins 2023, where I was actually hoping to snag a copy of Earth. They were already sold out, so I didn't get that. But we were all in the booth. I spotted this very distinct looking game set up on a demo table. And while I can enjoy this sort of game, it's the sort I tend to overlook as it's a little gimmicky appearing. uh, And my focus isn't as much on table presence as Mosey is, who's looking for those public play games. Yeah, this was one as soon as I saw it. I'm like, it caught my attention. It's going to catch someone else's attention. So Deanna and I went over and took a look at it. Um, I will admit, I was immediately reminded of Mountains Out of Mole Hills. This is a, a game we previously reviewed that has a two-layered board. And no, the games really aren't at all that similar, except for the dual-layer board and the fact you're placing stacks of things on top. Mountains is a light program movement game for families where every time you move, you push blocks up, whereas Block and Key is all about building things on top of the board to form patterns. Physically, the games look potentially very similar at a glance, but that is about it. So after a short demo by an awesome staff member at Inside Up Games, uh, my initial thoughts was this seems pretty cool. I, I get it. Like, like as soon as they showed me the cards and looking at them, I'm like, I get it. That's cool mechanics. Um, and it reminded me of another game. And I find this is way more ser- similar to Rio Grande's classic game, La Boca. And that is another game where you're trying to build blocks to make match a set pattern, but that's a partner game where your partner's trying to do the same thing on another card. So it's a totally different game, and it looks fantastic on the table. And as Sean mentioned, I'm always looking for games to catch people's attention to bring out the public play events I host here in Windsor. So I convinced them to send us home with a review copy of the game. And while we brought it back with high hopes, things then took a turn. Yeah, I got it home and unboxed it and discovered the component issues we already talked about above. Like, I hate the sleeve. I, I, I don't, I hate's the right term. I really do not like that sleeve. And the fact there's nothing on the box to indicate what the game is without the sleeve. Yes, I'm going to recognize it. But when I tell my daughter to go downstairs and grab block and key or I have friends over and I'd say grab block and key, they're not going to be able to find it. And then after a bit, Deanna, Sean and I are sitting at a local copy shop and I pack the game and I decide to sit down to learn the game. And we can't figure out how exactly to build the 3D two-layered board. And and they're playing around with that while I'm trying to read the game and, and the instructions. And, and I hate how floppy the rule book is. It's just not comfortable to read. Kind of reminds me of the old days of trying to read a print newspaper. And I, I don't know, like the generation before us had a skill at holding newspapers I never developed. And then it's got the fold-out bit, which I totally didn't understand at the time. I do get it now. I, I don't think I like it now that I get it, but I don't like it. And I got to say, the game left a, a, a pretty bad first impression before playing it. I mean, I admit I'm a sour old, sour old fogey anyways, but this game was not selling itself as we fumbled and fiddled and, and tried to get started playing the game. Yeah, though, once we actually did start playing, uh, it, that changed. Like it, 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 We got what we wanted. Well, the placement rules are a bit wonky. They do take a bit to get used to. And the rule book could be a little clearer than it is that that page of examples could show a few more examples. Once you get everything down, this is a fascinating, quick playing spatial logic puzzle game. Indeed, once you actually get through the rules and setup, the game just makes sense and flows. It's unfortunate that it is a bit of an uphill battle to get to that point where that game really does start to sing. Yeah, and to 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 give the do the game justice, this is something like if you own this, set it up before everyone shows up. Like have it ready to go just so that it's good to go and people get the best first impression. Because block and fee features a really nice flow and plays quickly. Yes, some players may take more time than others to figure out what to do on their turn, but in general, that just gives the other players 
an ability to take advantage of that time to plan out their own moves, looking at their blocks and what can be drafted. Though, don't hold on to those plans too close, because it is highly possible the actions of other players will ruin all of that planning. And honestly, that is the key part of what makes this game work. While it sounds like block and key is multiplayer solitaire, when you describe it to people like, well, that doesn't sound too hard, it's very much not. And I've found that as players get more experienced, they start figuring out better placements for their blocks. Uh, for example, instead of placing this block up here close where I can score this, what if I put it as far away as possible from me so that it's more likely to mess up someone else? Yeah, as much as the 2D view is the only thing that scores, you still need to keep that third dimension in mind, specifically because it doesn't impact your scoring, but can massively impact that of other players. Now, while the entire concept of scoring just your 2D view of a set of blocks is brilliant, it does come with a pretty big issue. That is getting into the right place for the right perspective. This is why the game was designed with a two-layer board, so the top layer is at least close to eye level for most players. And while that works, and it's definitely better than having to lean down to get down to table level, you're still going to have to find that you have to swap between basically slouching and craning to see what you need to see. Because you not only want that 2D view, which you want to look at when you're trying to match your pattern, but you need more of a top-down isometric view when placing your blocks so you can see the whole 3D board. And you're constantly kind of swapping between crouching and craning and leaning. Indeed, if you're the right height to score, you need to stand up to place. And if you're the right height to place, you need to slouch down to score. This is, once you get past the initial speed bumps, the biggest struggle for the game. Now, another minor complaint I had at first that is that it didn't feel like there were enough blocks in the game. Like the, the bag empties quickly, especially playing at four players. Definitely quicker than you'd expect. But I've got to say, now, after playing multiple games, I think this is a feature. I actually, I think it's good. Like, it, it, you're starting to run out blocks right when people are playing the, you know, that 7th, 8th, or 12th card. Like, it just, it, it actually fits. But you got to watch for this. This can lead to frustration for players who aren't expecting it. And I know, uh, based on some reactions, it is no fun to be the player who runs out of blocks and sits there while everyone else is still taking turns. Now, while teaching the game, I've adapted my teach to mention this multiple times and blocks will run out. Oh, there's only three left in the bag. Or remember, you might want to draw some backs before you run out. Yeah, as much as I feel like every game gets this now, a bit of knowledge about the game helps. Now, it's not exactly system mastery, but that familiarity that helps you not be planning too far ahead when you're just yeah. about out of blocks. You don't want to be picking up that moon card when you only got two blocks in front of you and there's only two blocks left to draw to uh in the bag to draw yeah exactly and i've se i've seen people draft blocks for for colors they don't even have on their cards because they're just expecting more blocks and more cards and not for the game to come to an end so so far in the games we've played um we have played this a number of times with different group sets it's gone over very well with my family very well and the local game nights i brought it out to now, I gotta say, it does what it wanted it to. It has the presence. It worked on me at Origins, and it works at public play events. Once I have this game set up, if I can get a group playing, especially early in a public play game night, other groups will follow. They'll ask to go next. What are you playing? What's that? What's that? Can I try that? This game was also an unexpected hit with my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law likes puzzles and logic games and spatial things. Now, on the other hand, my youngest daughter did not enjoy it at all, but I think that's more tied to her personal disabilities like central processing disorder and being able to tell distances. Now, while I personally don't have any struggles, I can certainly imagine that there are some people, like your daughter, for whom this game would simply misfire. 
Yeah. But in general, I think these folks know the sort of games and puzzles they don't connect with. So just be aware if that is something that you struggle with or just yep. dislike. Yeah, overall, we've enjoyed Block and Key more than I expected. It's not just an interesting looking gimmick. The game is a fascinating spatial puzzle that can be much more cutthroat than you expect. Placing blocks and nailing a hard pattern can be very rewarding, as can hearing an opponent groan as you place a block. I'm very glad we took a copy of this one home. And once you figure out how to set up and play the game, it's really a solid playing game with a lot of potential. Unfortunately, with so many great games on the market these days, those hiccups up front can really sink a game's chances. So I do hope that this review can help people see the good that it achieves on the other side of that setup. Yeah, if you enjoy spatial puzzles, games with 3D elements, pattern recognition and matching, you're going to love Block and Key. Well, it might take a bit to nail down the placement rules. Once you've got them, this is a really fast-playing and surprisingly thinky game. If you have issues with depth perception or having to focus on things at different depths and levels, have any special processing issues or vision issues like colorblindness, Block and Key may not work for you. The game is good enough, though. It's worthy maybe checking out a copy at a local event, con, or game store, but don't be surprised if it doesn't work for you. Now, due to the light nature of the rules of this game, I think this could be a great game for families. Uh, for whatever reason, the game's listed at 14+. plus. That's got to be component-based or some kind of regulation-based. There's no reason you have to be 14 to play this game. The rules are simple enough, and because the game rewards pattern recognition more than anything else, I think it puts gamers at different ages and experience levels on the same page. You're not doing math or economics or long-term strategies, right? It's just about recognizing those patterns and making them. I have seen this game go over just as well with seniors as well as with teens, and I think it would work with younger kids as well. I just don't have any younger kids to try it with. Well, that's it for our thoughts on Block and Key, a very three-dimensional block-placing pattern-matching board game from Inside Up Games that's sure to catch people's attention. Do you learn something new from this review? Are you now thinking of picking up Blocking Key or maybe checking out what else Inside Up Games has to offer? You can tip your bellhop by stopping by patreon.com slash tabletop bellhop. And now in the bellhop's tabletop, we look back at the games we played since last episode. Uh, the holidays are over. Uh, people are very obviously back at work and uh, they're all trying to get things done now. And it has been a busy week here in uh, in our household, at least, like appointments and meeting with subcontractors and meeting with contractors and talking to people on the phone and plumbers and, and high school registration. And like, I, I almost wish we were back in November sales season because it just feels ridiculous right now. Uh, note, I almost wish we were back in like uh, the hindsight is still not, not rose tinted glasses. At least I'm sleeping now. Well, I work for me is back into full swing as well with conferences coming up and work travel picking up again and just, you know, regular busyness, uh, no, no extra nap time during the afternoon for me. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of at the beginning of January, I was like 2024 is going to be awesome. We're playing so many games. Yeah. Unfortunately, I did die off. Now, and then since we were last year, uh, I did celebrate my birthday since the last show. So that did involve uh, getting some new games, um, a trip to the friendly local game store. We stopped in at CG Realms. Um, there, I picked up a copy of Expeditions, which is the, the, uh, sequel to Scythe. Though I think thematically it's a prequel. I have to double check that. I had that in my head, but everything I look up online says sequel to Scythe. I think it's a sequel as in it's the next game, but I think the story is set before. 
Um, and also picked up a copy of the Fantasy Flight game Star Wars Deck Builder as a potential new date night game to be talking about on future two-player and date night game episodes. I got a couple cool shirts from the kids. I'm currently wearing a Kaiju Ramen shirt. Um, got a cool D20 pin, which will be going on my, my con bag. Uh, some other cool stuff. I, I got a, a Mimic, which is currently holding my my Crokinole. My Crokinole, uh, I don't know what you call them, pucks? I don't know what you call them. We, we, we got a Mimic, which is pretty cool. Uh, my mom gave me some games, so look forward to hearing about Star Trek Super Skill Pinball. Uh, Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition, which we tried at Origins and really liked. And the uh, limited edition tricorder version of the Star Trek Adventures, uh, the role-playing game from, uh, I think it's Modifius. Well, it certainly sounds like an active and successful birthday. Uh, just doing a quick, my own quick uh, glance, it is a sequel that doesn't seem to in any way be a precursor. Yeah, something um, in my head. I thought the story, like it was set before Scythe. No, Does Scythe have a date on it? Anywhere uh, saying when it's set? Not like on the box that cover? I'm aware of. I mean, uh, Expeditions I, I don't know is where Tunguska. I, got the idea from. I could be so, way off. Uh, so, like, we spent the day out. We had some great food, tried out some places. Uh, had a very, um, I found it ironic. So, Sean and I grew grew up together at the Second Cup Coffee Shop, where we were often served coffee by Michael Dumont, a famous, uh, fantastic barista. Well, we went to Anchor Coffee House and were served coffee from <laughs> Bo's son, which I just thought was kind of cool. So yeah, 1920s is side. 1920s uh, diesel punk. Yeah, and that's a, that's a, what Expedition says. I think it says 1920s. I, I don't know what's behind me. I would have to grab it. Um, out and about that day, um, we did. I finally pound shuffleboard wax, wax recently. And I've got to say, if you are into, I don't know what you call those, table games, I don't, I, the darts, pool, billiards, that side of gaming. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of the place. So this is terrible. I was going to shout them out. Uh, out by Silver City. The old Silver City is a fantastic pool and spa and game. Man, their their selection. Oh, I feel terrible. I can't remember the name of it. What is the name? Roger Pool Spa Billiards and Darts. The billiards and darts, like like man, their selection of like like dart boards and crokinole boards and and shuffleboard and pool tables and like like just a cool place. It's a little tiny shop. Kind of looks like it was an auto body shop at one time. It got converted. Um, they, they do pool supplies too. And like chlorine and all that too, but man, cool place. So I finally found shuffleboard wax and that's what we did, uh, is, is we played a lot of crokinole. I, I sat down and played my first full game with the proper rules. Um, spent some time online, double checking the rules. I learned about the one cheek rule, which still amuses me that there is, that there was a, for those who are fans of crokinole or don't know crokinole, there is a one cheek rule. And man, when you play a tournament, are they ever serious about your chair never moving? So that was cool. Um, I played a ton of games, like a ton of games um, with the kids. Like we we just played King of the Hill. We like, you know, I, we played and Gwen won. So I got out and Genevieve played Gwen. And then Gwen won that. And then I sat down and I beat Gwen. And then, you know, and we just kept taking turns playing game after game. We tried the uh, original scoring rules to 100 points. Then we tried the tournament scoring rules. I think I prefer the tournament scoring rules. Um, and while I am looking forward to bringing my shiny new board, uh, to, uh, this Saturday, we're going to have a gaming event and I'm looking forward to playing some. Yeah. I, I watched a few world championship games back when we uh, got back from origins to learn more about it. Cause I was interested after, after, you know, seeing it and, and watching it at origins, but I'm definitely still going to need a refresher on the rules. Yeah. It's not bad. 
Yeah. Uh, the, there were some rules that, that confused me at first that, that really weren't uh, not as bad as they seem once you actually sit down and play. And I, I knew at the Shadow Brown Castle games, uh, they had the most beautiful, shiny, smooth. Oh, that that's what got me hooked. Like, like even interest in this as as an Ontarian or I think it's Ontarian is the proper term. Ontarian. I, I feel bad that this is part of my heritage. Uh, Crokinole coming from Sarnia, which really isn't that far away that I, I'm only discovering now. So. Hey, I went to a couple Spitz games this year, too, so I, I guess I'm becoming more Canadian with age. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Saturday, or sorry, sorry, Sunday night, we did uh, the whole go to Brenda's thing, and the girls finally finished uh, Ghost in the Machine, the um, the ridiculously long, detailed, and involved mysterious package company murder mystery, uh, London Gothic Ghost in the Machine. Uh, learned a couple things. Uh, for one, yes, you can lose. You, you can fail. Um, there are some pretty hard puzzles. I know I know. there's one about a cab that was pretty difficult. Uh, what we got to do with this one now is figure out what we're going to do. So I sat through most of this game. But to be fair, my wife, her mom, and my daughter, Genevieve, were the ones that were really enjoying it. So I let them kind of do it on their own and at the same time played other stuff with Gwen. So like I'm going to share my thoughts on the podcast based on what I heard and what we thought, but I might recruit Dana to do up a written review for this one instead of me since she played through the full thing. So we're going to have to talk about that one offline to decide what we're doing about Ghost in the Machine. But what I will say here is if you are into murder mysteries, like get this thing. Like like if you like reading the novels, it's it's, it's an interactive novel experience. It's reading the mystery, trying to solve the mystery while also getting all these props and and packages and envelopes you open. And no, you're not getting the big shiny, you know, pocket watches and drinking flasks, but like lots of just cool little bits. Like one of my favorite moments in the game was the the game said you tear out a page of the ledger, and then it says open up this envelope and there's the page from the ledger. Like it's just so cool. Yeah, and there aren't too many escape room puzzles where you don't walk out the other side. So that's a yeah. big note to take away from this one. Now, of course, they just did the which way book thing, right? Like, oh, no, we didn't go that way. But I, the fact that was in there, because I thought it might have been in the first half because it, it split over two halves. In the first half, there were a couple things that seemed like that might happen. But yeah, in the in the second half, I, I don't know the full story. Uh, to be fair, I was downstairs playing Taiko Drum Master because I'm still <laughs> addicted to that game. Uh, as for the coming week, um, so the big thing is Deanna organized a big birthday party this weekend. Almost everyone was out of town last weekend and other stuff was going on. So we didn't bother doing it on the day of. So we invited out a bunch of local gamers. So this should be like the old school Mo birthday board gaming bash thing that we used to do in the past. So uh, we had big props and thanks to my mother-in-law, Brenda and Holly, uh, my sister-in-law for lending us the house for that. Basically, she has a fantastically large basement where we're basically going to set it up like a public play event with multiple tables down there and games to play. Uh, now, before that, I do want to unbox stuff. I know I say every damn episode I'm going to unbox stuff, and I never do. I can never find time. But I want to fit it in because there's stuff I would like to play at that event. So I am hoping to get that in. And then uh, there's still a lot more going on. So we'll see. All right. Well, that's uh, what we've done and what's coming up in this uh, back-to-working sort of event as the as the holidays have come to an end. Well, before we start locking things down, let's take a moment to thank a selection of our Tabletop Bellhop Patreon patrons. Their support helps keep this show going. Brian Van Beek, thank you. William Fisher, thank you. Brian, thank you, Brian. Andrew Dacey, thank you, Andrew. Danielle and Owen Thomas, thank you. Well, that was the double bell. 
That means our shift's coming to an end and we're going to have to lock the lobby doors. Even if we're not here live, you can always find us at tabletopbellhop.com. All over the web is Tabletop Bellhop, that's one word, and on your podcatcher of choice as the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast. All right, I just finished my coffee. I'm tired. I need some sleep. Now, I'll stay up long enough for the after show, but I am hitting the sack after this, though. You know what would be awesome? If both of us, Sean and I, woke up to a couple of coffees. You can make our mornings awesome by supporting the show at coffee.com slash tabletopbellhop. That's K-O hyphen F-I dot com slash tabletop bellhop. Well, that's all for us tonight. Another way you can show your support is by giving us a thumbs up, a like, leaving a comment, or better yet, tell your friends and fellow gamers about our show. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I'm Sean. And I'm Mo. Thank you. And game on. Find full reviews, show notes, and more at tabletopbellhop.com. Graphic design by Brian Weiss at RPG & Co. Music is Nimbus by Eveningland. The podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution license. <laughs>